0: On Enmeshed, we discuss crimes and situations that may be disturbing for some audiences. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Welcome to Enmeshed, the show that reveals some of the most poisonous people come disguised as family.
2: Enmeshed family members are fused together by unhealthy emotions instead of the strong bonds that signal a well-functioning family. Boundaries are blurred, and unhealthy relationship patterns are formed. Hello, and welcome to Enmeshed, the podcast that explores family relationships and crime. I'm
1: Amanda. And I'm Pam.
2: And we are back after two weeks
1: of being off, which was supposed to be one week. We weren't sure we were going to be back after this illness month or more. Yeah, I think
2: I was actually sick for almost a month with different things. And the last thing
1: was the tonsillitis and laryngitis. It's been a weird year. Like on July 4th, I got strep throat. I mean, where does that come from? And then a sinus infection and then COVID, which honestly was the... Easiest of all of them. And then this tonsillitis, mystery, illness, wicked thing that won't go away.
2: Yeah, it is a mystery. And I still, knock on wood, have not had COVID. I didn't get the flu and I didn't get strep throat.
1: That's right. You have never had COVID.
2: Correct. Even though your daughters have. Right. So glad we just put that out in the universe. (laughs) After this month of sickness. Anyways, we both have our voices back now. And we're good. Yep. So let's get into it. Let's do it. All right. All right. So today, our story is about how violent ideologies can lead to horrifying ends, and that even the love and diligence of devoted parents can't always triumph over evil. This case, like the others we cover, is disturbing and tragic but it's also an example of how
1: a hate-filled culture can swallow an entire family whole. If not for the vicious, disgusting rhetoric of neo-Nazis and white supremacists, three people would still be alive, and three more would have their freedom.
2: Today we're discussing the teenage skinheads Brian and David Freeman, who murdered their parents and brother in February of 1995. So let's dive right in. Devout Jehovah's Witnesses, Dennis and Brenda Freeman, were pretty much like any other couple raising a family in the Lehigh Valley area of Pennsylvania. They had three sons, Brian, David, and Eric, that they were raising in their faith. Dennis's sister, Valerie, lived nearby, as did the boy's cousin,
1: Nelson Birdwell. I believe the Birdwell family lives in nearby Allentown, Pennsylvania, and that they're on Brenda's side of the family. So there were a lot of family members living in that area at the time of the murders.
2: Not much has been reported about their lives before Brian and David were high schoolers, but at some point in junior high, the two began to rebel against their upbringing. As many kids at that age do, Brian and David turned to drugs and alcohol, but their rebellion soon took a much darker turn. Their parents sent them to a rehabilitation facility when Brian and David were 13 and 12, respectively. There, the boys discovered the skinhead movement, which is described by the Southern Poverty Law Center as such quote, racist skinheads had long been among us as the most violent minded elements. Of the white power movement. Often referred to as the shock troops of the hoped for white revolution, this movement flourished during the 1980s, 1990s, and the mid 2000s, particularly through the lucrative international hate music scene. So, this is a boots on the ground, action oriented white supremacist group that was gaining a real foothold by the time Brian and David discovered it. Reportedly, they loved the violent rhetoric and the personal freedom that such violence promised. Around 10th and 11th grade, David and Brian ratcheted up their behavior, wearing military uniforms and espousing their newfound beliefs openly. As shocking as it is that Brian once wore a swastika armband and iron cross medals for a school photo, the boys took it even further. They both shaved their heads and were tattooed in their hairlines, Brian with Berserker, a white power band, and David with Sieg Heil. Ooh, David. Sounds attractive. Brian also had a skull and crossbones swastika tattooed to his neck. They were aggressive and threatening with no qualms about scaring their classmates and family members. Their parents didn't sit idly by. Dennis and Brenda tried all that they could to bring back the sons they knew, from church interventions to anti-skinhead education sessions run by the local police department, as well as calling law enforcement
1: on the boys multiple times. It didn't help that David and Brian were also physically imposing. By this time, Brian was 6 foot tall and 225 pounds, while David was an even more intimidating 6 foot 3 and 240 pounds. You can only imagine the terror that Dennis and Brenda felt, not just for themselves living in a situation like this, but also for their other son, 11-year-old Eric. It was so bad that Eric once told his Aunt Valerie, quote, you never know when you're going to die, unquote. Unfortunately, no
2: professional help was a match for David and Brian. In an episode of Killer Siblings about the Freeman case, the district attorney for Lehigh County, Robert Steinberg, said, quote, it was almost like two opposing armies living in the same household. One side are pacifists trying to negotiate a settlement, and the other side is interested in nothing but war, unquote. This war inside the Freeman home would all escalate to a fever pitch on February 26, 1995. Let's take a quick break before going back to that fateful night.
3: Are you planning an event with audio and visual needs but are not sure where to start? Waves Entertainment can help. Waves Entertainment is your premier full-service management company with high-quality custom solutions for any size event. Whether you are planning a large festival or concert, a corporate meeting or wedding, Waves Entertainment will power your event to excellence. Our team of industry professionals work closely with your vision to ensure your audience hears every word, sees every detail, and remembers the experience. Our goal is to ensure your event is customized to fit your needs and provide professional-grade equipment to amplify your message. From live stage production and talent booking to vendor coordination, event staffing, and more, Waves Entertainment is your one-stop shop for the perfect event. Visit our website, wavesentertainment.com, or give us a call at 704-662-2435. That's 704-662-2435. Waves Entertainment, powering your event to excellence.
1: Now back to the show.
2: So what are your thoughts so far on what we've discussed about the Freeman family?
1: Well, I do know a few Jehovah's Witnesses, and they are good, hardworking people. My beliefs may not align with theirs, but I would like to read the definition. Off of Google, of course. The denomination requires adherence to a strict moral code, which forbids premarital sex, homosexuality, gender transitioning, adultery, smoking, drunkenness and drug abuse, and blood transfusions. Jehovah's Witnesses do not celebrate most holidays or events that honor people who aren't Jesus. So that includes birthdays, Mother's Day, Valentine's Day, Halloween. They also don't celebrate religious holidays such as Christmas and Easter in the belief that these customs have pagan origins. So to just give an example of a few famous people that I think are inactive would be Ginger Spice. Uh, What's her name? Jerry Hartwell. I think it's Jerry Hallowell. Okay. You would know better than me. Got to spice up your life. And the Jackson family, Michael Jackson. And um, I think Prince was active when he passed away, um, an active Jehovah's Witness, which was part of the problem because he could not get a blood transfusion. So
2: that's interesting. Yeah, very interesting. All right. So this brings us to the evening of February 26th, 1995. Tensions are already high in the Freeman household because a few days prior, Brian was suspended from school for drawing racist pictures in a book. He'd also called the principal an anti-Semitic slur and threatened him with violence. 17-year-old Brian, 16-year-old David, and their 18-year-old cousin Nelson, who is sometimes referred to as Ben, if you decide to look into the case yourself, returned to the Freeman family home after a night at the movies. They came home past their 11 o'clock curfew, but that's not all Brenda was upset about. She also didn't want Nelson, who was a skinhead in his own right, inside the house. Nelson pretended to leave the home and instead circled back, re-entering the house and joining the brothers in the basement. Brenda discovered them down there and again told Nelson to leave, but this time, Brian grabbed his mother and shoved a pair of shorts into her mouth to silence her. He then repeatedly stabbed her to death using a kitchen knife. This horror set the rest of the murders into motion. Dennis was asleep in his room. There, David beat his father to death with an aluminum baseball bat and a metal barbell. Little Eric was last beaten to death in his own bed with a three-foot pickaxe handle. They fled the scene in Brenda's black Pontiac convertible, leaving behind a gruesome crime scene that would be discovered by their Aunt Valerie the next day.
1: According to D.A. Steinberg, this was truly a brutal scene, with Dennis and Eric beaten beyond recognition. After so many visits to the house over the last couple of years, the police suspected that the missing David and Brian Freeman were the ones behind these shocking murders
2: with the boys in the wind the police relied on the public to help them bring David Brian and Nelson to justice a trucker in northeastern ohio called in a tip about three men matching their descriptions at a hotel by the time police arrived at the hotel they were gone but the receptionists there positively identified them as the freemans and nelson birdwell Police discovered that the boys had made two calls from their room phone during their stay. They ordered pizza, obviously, and they also called a landline in Hope, Michigan. The number belonged to a man named Frank Hess, who was another skinhead. That's right, another skinhead. The Michigan police went to the Hess household to interview Frank, and lo and behold, Brenda's Pontiac was parked out front. Given how dangerous these men were and all that they were capable of, police called for backup, but before their additional manpower could arrive, all four of the men drove off in the convertible. Police then followed them to a remote barn and surrounded them. Surprisingly, law enforcement was able to capture them without much trouble. At the station, the police split them up for questioning. Frank told cops that he had met the boys at a skinhead concert and invited them to hang out with him if they were ever in Michigan. He claimed to have no knowledge of the murders and had only heard from the Freemans on the 27th, the day after. He was released once his story was confirmed. Nelson also denied any culpability, claiming that he'd only heard of the murders during the road trip through Ohio up to Frank's house but police found tiny drops of blood on his clothing. Brian and David each refused to cooperate with the police until the Pennsylvania prosecutor announced that he planned to try them as adults. And being tried as adults, they were eligible for the death sentence. Instead, the brothers negotiated a deal where they'd confess to the murders if the death sentence was taken off the table. Piecing together their testimony and the evidence, here's what we think happened. The boys were angry that their parents had sold their car a few days prior. It was the only way they were able to get to neo-Nazi events and concerts. Because the axe head was removed from the handle and an aluminum grip was missing from the barbell, I believe that the murders were premeditated. They intentionally angered their mother that night to propel into action, taking her down first while their father slept. Then, both David and Nelson went to Dennis's room, where David hit his father with the bat and Nelson hit him with the metal barbell, as evidenced by blood droplets on his t-shirt. I also think that David told the truth when he told the police that Nelson killed Eric. Though there was a lot of animosity in the house, I think the brothers would have either left Eric alone or taken him with them. The brothers and Nelson had been discussing starting their own neo-Nazi group someday, and I could see a version of events where David and Brian believed they could bring Eric onto their side. Unfortunately, with no physical evidence and no admission of guilt, no one has been held accountable
1: for Eric's death. Oh, man. Oh, man. That's so sad when they're tried for a few deaths, but not the third one. And especially that of their younger brother.
2: I know. Nelson was tried as an adult for all three deaths and found guilty of murdering Dennis. He was sentenced to life with no possibility of parole. David and Brian were found guilty of murdering their parents and were also sentenced to life in prison with no possibility for parole. A 2016 Supreme Court ruling concerning juveniles being tried as adults has now granted a re-sentencing for David and Brian, but those results have yet to be seen. We'll keep you updated as we learn
1: more. In 2015, the local news did an interview with Brian, who said that he knew he'd done a terrible thing and needed to go to prison for it. According to their aunt on their mother's side that visits both of them frequently... Both David and Brian are extremely remorseful for their actions. David has turned back into the faith of his parents, becoming a Jehovah's Witness again in prison. Not that that changes their sentencing. Yeah, I'm not really
2: sure I believe any of that, anyways, right? It's kind of hard to go from one side of the spectrum all the way back to the other side of the spectrum like that, but okay. To add further tragedy to the Lehigh Valley area that year, Another young man took inspiration from David and Brian. The day after their capture, 17-year-old Jeffrey Howarth used his family shotgun to murder his parents. In a letter left in his bedroom desk, he referenced the Freemans and said it would be cool if he did something like that. Jeffrey was apprehended in Missouri after his car ran out of gas and he was later found not guilty by reason of insanity. This one-two punch of senseless violence rocked Lehigh Valley for decades. We want to make it very clear that Dennis and Brenda did all that they could at the time to help their sons. Today, with all of the warning signs, forced interventions likely would have happened much earlier in a case like theirs. But we can't understate the danger around extremist ideology either. It preys on the most vulnerable among us, turning them into weapons or victims. We've included some resources on our website on how to identify a hate group, resisting hateful culture,
1: and protecting children from recruitment. Yes, we've listed some excellent informative websites in our show notes. So this may be a case of do conform to the family norm because maybe the boys should have Stayed with the family's Jehovah's Witnesses beliefs and not veered away from the family norm. You think so? Yeah. Yeah. Well, the Freeman brothers are not free men today.
2: Good play on words. And that's a wrap. We will be back next Monday for a new episode of Enmeshed, which will be our special Christmas episode. Yay! So get ready, and we'll see you then.
1: We'll see you next Monday. We do have an update on the Roden family massacre in Pike County, Ohio. George Wagner IV was found guilty. Um a date has been set for the sentencing of George Wagner IV, who was found guilty last month of participating in the murder of eight people in April of 2016. George Wagner IV was found guilty on all twenty-two counts on November thirtieth, including eight counts of aggravated murder, four counts of aggravated burglary, three counts of tampering with evidence one count of conspiracy, one count of unlawful possession of dangerous ordinance, and one count of forgery. The jury deliberated less than eight hours. A week prior to the jury heading to deliberations, the judge agreed to remove the death penalty in the case. So George Wagner IV will be sentenced by Judge Randy Deering, On December 19th at 10 a.m. And I would imagine there will be multiple victim impact statements prior to the sentencing. Oh, goodness, that's going to be hard to watch. It is. Um, And then there will be one more trial to go, and that will be Patriarch Billy Wagner. But so far, justice is being served. Love it. Anytime justice is served is a good time. The prosecutors of this 11-week trial were Angela Canepa, Andy Wilson, and Rob Junk, who I think did a great job. Some say maybe pushed the envelope too far with all of the photos and evidence um, that were a little gruesome, but it did its job. And uh, lastly, Tony Roden did speak for the family, and he said, quote, One step closer, unquote. So now three families have been devastated, and none of them have custody of the child that this all came down to. Just the most sad situation I think I've ever heard of. Right. Absolutely. Well, hopefully
2: justice will finish being served soon. Absolutely. And we will keep you updated. All right. Well, thank you for that update and we will see you all next Monday. you for listening all of our sources are in today's show notes as well as those important resources you can find us at enmeshed underscore true crime podcast on instagram or enmeshed true crime podcast on facebook and let us know what you think you can also get a behind the scenes look at the show and chat with us about any of the cases you've heard here or share case suggestions please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to keep up with Enmeshed and join us every Monday for fresh takes on stale relationships. Enmeshed is an Oh No production.
0: Oh no!